you can actually know the creator God of the universe. Bible podcast. My name is Matt. Joining me today are your friends and mine, Karen. Mm-hmm. And Tracy. Good morning. And Amy. It's a sunny day in Colorado. It's sunny, but it's cold. It's cold. It's 14 it's dripping all over the place out here. <laughs> I don't like it, guys. I don't like it. <laughs> well, by the time this this episode goes up, it'll be almost Christmas time. So I guess it's the, it's it's seasonal. But I don't have to like it. I'll have to deal with it, but I don't have to like it. You know, we haven't had really haven't had any snow yet. A little bit. We had a little snow. Not like we have in some years where it was middle of October, and I think we got like three feet of snow not too long ago. Well, I say not too long ago. My oldest was probably four or five years old, maybe because I remember throwing him to a snowbank. But uh, <laughs> but uh, it wasn't even October yet. We've gotten a little skiff of snow here this year. But no, you know, I find that people who really like snow and cold are the ones who get to sit inside and look outside out of it, out at it and don't have to get out into it very much. Oh, so, no, no, that's not true. I'm outside all the time. And I'm but the thing is, I'm a snowshoer. Yeah, well, and see, so I'm like, yay, it's here. Well, you get to. You're you're it's still voluntary. You get to go out because you want to. Okay, fair. Yeah. <laughs> I used to love the snow too, and it was a matter of oh, I get to go out and make a snowman or go sledding. But now in my profession, that's well, I get to spend eight to oh, twelve right. hours in the cold, <laughs> freezing. So, you know, it is what it is, though. I'll just I'll complain about it and whatever. <laughs> it's not going right. to change anything, but it doesn't mean I have to stop complaining. <laughs> hey you guys since we're um since we're entering like the big holiday season part of the year can i read you mm -hmm. something funny sure it says in the u.s we have a candy holiday followed by a pie holiday next a cookies and candy holiday before a boozer holiday and we call oh. it flu season rather than sugar poisoning season <laughs> there's there probably a lot of there's your deep thoughts for the day yeah, yeah, that's, truth to that. awesome. I was going to say there's probably some truth to that our medical oh professional can probably advise us on that one. Oh yeah where did my immune system go yeah yeah you know yeah because you know people oh, if you go out in the cold without a jacket on you're going to get a cold no that's not the way that works at least I don't think so <laughs> no it's hard to get the virus just from the cold yeah exactly. Well, that's and that's the truth because you know me, you know, me complaining about having to be outside so much in my, in my work. I I don't get sick very often during the during the uh, cold and flu season, and that I think it's probably yeah. more because people are more shut up inside with each other and just spreading that junk around that's always there. So, um, and then nine times out of ten, when you go out outside, you're all covered up. So all mm -hmm. the digging and wiping and rubbing and all that kind of stuff, you probably have gloves on. Yeah, yeah. I remember when I lived in Alaska, uh, you know, I tell people about that now and they just stare at me like, oh, how did you not freeze? I'm like, well, we wear clothes. <laughs> like that's, and, and then when it's cold out, we wear more clothes and then and then we're not cold. Like, that's how that works. <laughs> Probably not a lot of Alaskan nudist colonies. 
that's just a a speculation on my part. Mosquitoes in the summer. (laughs) Mosquitoes in the summer and way below zero in the winter. Yeah, that's a terrible idea. (laughs) (laughs) If you're part of an Alaskan nudist colony, (laughs) write into us at ATT Podcast. Please email us. You're shrinking. Literally. <laughs> yeah, don't uh, don't uh, don't send photos, but like tell us about it, please. No, don't don't send photos. Nobody wants to see that. <laughs> Nobody wants to see that. <laughs> and if you do want to see that, I still don't want to know about it. <laughs> oh wow, we are off the rails already, guys. <laughs> How about we steer it back to where it should go here, and let's let's get into the book of Malachi. We've been a long time coming for this book of Malachi, and by the time our listeners hear this, I think it'll be after our two-year anniversary mark. And so it's been it's been going on two years that we've been studying the Old Testament, and we're finally into the book was, of Malachi. Seriously, thought it, I thought it was three years. No, no, we started, we started before COVID. Fair. Well, we started we we started in late. Well, you know what? You might be right. We started yeah. in late 2021. No. No, late. 19. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. We did. Has it been three years? See, it's been so long, I don't even know. <laughs> I can't count, you guys. I don't know. Don't expect me to do math this early in the morning. It's questionable to have me do math ever. Well, at any rate, we've been in, we've been in the Old Testament for quite a while. And and we are finally in this final book, uh, the book of Malachi, uh, which is the the it's the last chapter in the Old Testament, not just physically in the Old Testament, but apparently chronologically as well. Although there might be some question about that, because these last few books we've been in, they've been kind of all over the map as far as chronology wise. And so this is just but this is definitely in this last little bit of after the uh, exile has been over and the Israelites have been allowed to come back and rebuild. And we, we've seen with the last few books and that we've been reading how, how the Israelites have already started to fall into some of their old patterns. And Ezra and Nehemiah both had to, you know, kind of put the wake-up call on them to uh, say, hey, guys, don't start this stuff again. Don't do it again. And so as we get into uh, Malachi, we find that it's 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 a it's a bit more of the same, but uh, still really good message. Um, although Malachi Malachi does a little more preparation for what's to come, I would say than the others that came before. Hey, not to bring us back, but I was thinking about yesterday when we were we were in church and we were talking about our podcast. Um, and didn't you say how many episodes we we're on? One hundred and forty some. This would be. I'm not sure exactly where. I think by the time this one comes out, we might actually be over 150. So you figure, you know, um, number of weeks in a year, that put us right about three years where Karen was yeah. saying. Well, Karen's smarter than me. I don't exactly. deny that. She's on it this morning. <laughs> I poke fun at Karen because I'm afraid of her, not because she's smart, because she's not as smart as me. <laughs> it's a defense mechanism. <laughs> <laughs> the best defense is a good offense. That's not nice. Absolutely. I have to keep you down where you belong, Karen. <laughs> and, it's, and it's easier um, online and not uh, face-to-face. Yeah, I don't have to actually face her. <laughs> I, I have a picture of her on the screen, and that's that's, that's that's okay. I can look her right in the eye and, and cut her down. 
<laughs> Go ahead, Please, Karen. like he was any less obnoxious when I was there in real life. <laughs> Me? <laughs> okay, so my my favorite text in Malachi, and this pretty much kicked off, this pretty much summarized the whole book to me, was chapter 1, verse 6. A son honors his father and a slave his master. If I am a father, where is the honor due me? If I am a master, where is the respect due me, says the Lord Almighty? Like that, to me, summarized the whole book. Pretty well, yeah. yeah the pretty whole much. thing when we start out is is God... God, I've loved you and you haven't loved me back. And the people are like, what? How? I don't understand. You know, and uh, like, what? Because because you don't do what I say. Basically, you never have. You've never done what I say. Where's my honor? Where's my reverence? If you if you really follow me, really love me, why don't why don't you act like it? Why don't you show it? And that's really been the story of the Israelites since practically day one. I mean, you know, once things started going downhill with Solomon, you know, they that that peak, they peaked at Solomon, which was so early in the story and, and just began degrading and not really considering the things that God had said and wanted them to do to become the nation they were meant to become. Yeah. It was just a, it was just a constant constant. And so as the, you know, the people are, but isn't that how kind of like just humans are at some point when you have all the riches, you, you know, you're feeling good, you're in a good place, and then you tend to forget about God. Yeah, yeah, I think there's very few of us who are able to maintain it. Maintain it, yeah, 365, but especially in times of of plenty, because, yeah, we're like, oh, everything's great. Ooh, what's to worry about? I just think that's why the story of the um, the 10 lepers that come to Jesus is so important because God knows that about us. He knows that when things are going right, we tend to just be like, yeah, I'm, I'm good. See you later. Um, whereas this guy turns back and says, Hey, thank you. Um, it's mm -hmm. such a beautiful story because that's where we need to be. We need to look at our lives all the time and be like, Hey, thank you. Yeah. And the, that, uh, the context of what, of that text that Karen just mentioned he talks, he starts talking about how they have offered defiled blood on the altar. And like, what are you talking about? Um, but it, it would appear from the text that they have been bringing like the, the, the wounded animals or the lame, the blind and the sick animals for sacrifices. When they were right. supposed to be bringing the very best, they were just bringing. The unblemished. Uh, yeah, the unblemished. And they were bringing basically the leftovers. And that's a message for us, I think, is is to, you know, it's a call for us to not just give God our leftovers. Don't just give him, you know, what, you, what you're not using. I think that, yeah, I mean, it, you know, later on in Malachi, it gets into the, the tithing thing, and that's fine. We'll get to that. But to me, I noticed that, too, and it kind of jumped out like, no, this is supposed to be. We're, what we bring to God is supposed to be the best that we have off of our increase, like period. I mean, he didn't send us his leftovers. I always, it always makes me laugh when they, when it talks about how uh, Lucifer was the most beautiful among the created beings, because apparently and even in heaven, beauty occurs on a scale. So it's mm. not like God sent the ugly angel to be the <laughs> sacrifice for humanity. Right. You know, he sent his son the most perfect cherished being that there was in the universe is who came 
for our sacrifice. And and so now this sacrificial which is system, which is supposed to point forward to that, it they're they're giving him the flawed leftovers. No. Right. Right. No. Yeah. Well, and I think it goes even beyond you know those worship things. Not just not just the church. Not just the you know not just our worship services, which I think that is fair. You know, um, I think it's a good idea to present yourself where to well to God in your worship service and don't just, you know, crawl out of bed and throw on your best pajama bottoms and, and, and go to praise God. Uh, will he accept you? Sure. He will. But you know, are you putting, are you putting thought into it? Are you really, are you presenting your best? You know, I mean, we've all been members of church that, hardly anybody wears suits and dresses up on, on, you know, for our worship service yet for the most part, I'd say we all make sure we come in clean and well, well presented, you know, but I, I have known times where it's like, well, you know, what can, what can we find? You know, you got to fix up the church. Well, you know, what kind of deals can we find? How, what's how, how can we spend the least amount of money type of thing, which of course you want to be a good steward as well. But are you, are you just work, worrying about saving money first or are you worried about, or are you thinking about saving or uh, serving God first? I know the best times I've had at worship, like the most fulfilling and times when I felt like I truly encountered God is when I prepared ahead of time and not really just talking about clothing, but mm -hmm. more like, you know, having morning worship, coming to him and saying, you know, I'm coming to your church today to worship you. I want to be with your people. I want to encounter you. <clears throat> and I think to me, that mental preparation is probably the most important part. I would agree with that. Um, <laughs> worship is at its roots a a spiritual process, and so the way that the way that I think the way that various individuals will feel that impact the most is not is not going to be the same. When I lived in Alaska, the church that we went to was um, well, <laughs> the whole state it was like some people wore suits and some people wore jeans. No, nobody cared. And so that's what my children grew up with. They were born and raised in that church. All right. So fast forward until they're teenagers. And then we move to Colorado. We're getting ready to go to the local church for the first time. And we're having this discussion about what do we wear? Well, I grew up in more traditional churches where you put on your best clothes in order to go to church. You just do. But then by the time I got to high school and college, you know, the vain young woman thing was in full gear. And I was noticing both in myself and others that dressing up to go to church was an act of vanity, not mm. presentation at the feet of the most high. Mm -hmm. So for me, when I moved to Alaska in my late teens, it was kind of a relief to have that um, societal need for presentation removed. I could, I could get up and walk to the feet of Christ in worship in as I was, mm -hmm. right? I didn't need to do up or present or filter myself because what good does that do anyway, right? Mm -hmm. So there's this mixed point of view and which one is right or wrong. I don't know if there is one. So my my son, he's in his, he's in his early teens when we moved to 
Colorado. And so we're, we're, we're openly having this discussion and I'm telling my two teenage children like, hey, like, just so you know, traditional churches often dress up more than what you're used to. So I think until we're used to the church, we should all kind of put on some of our dress up clothes and go. All right, fine. So he, you know, he goes and he digs out a dress. We're all still packed, right? We're still unpacking. So he digs out his dress clothes and he finds a necktie and we all iron our clothes and we get all duded up and we go to church. Fine. So he gets out of... <laughs> He gets out of the study class for the for the youth and he comes in and, he, and on, on the car ride home. He's like, well, I was all dressed up, but but some other people weren't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I thought you said this was important. And I was like, OK, hang on. <laughs> We're talking about human custom. We're not yeah. talking about what God requires. What God requires is our is your heart. Like yeah. all of the human spit and polish you could possibly put on yourself does nothing to convince God of your spit and polish. Right. Like that's not that's not real polish. Right. That's that only works here on earth, right? Anyway, mm-hmm. it was kind of funny. And he goes, and I said, is there I said, you you tell me, is there anything wrong with the idea of getting up and consciously presenting your best at the feet of God? And he goes, right. No. Mm-hmm. And I said, Okay, now tell me this. Is there anything wrong with getting up and hauling your broken down self to the feet of God to worship in exactly the state you are every day because that's who you are? And he goes, Well, no, not when you put it like that. He goes, Now I just feel judgmental. <laughs> well, that is the funny thing, anyway. too. Because, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Because all of our external trappings don't fool God. That's my point. Exactly. He knows your heart. And so, so I, you know, however you decide to dress for worship is of course, it's totally up to you. And, and, uh, you know, we shouldn't be looking at each other and going, no, oh, that, that guy's not into it, you know, cause we don't know. We have no, we have no idea. God knows your heart. And so if you dress up for the right reasons, great. If you show up broken down, Hey, you're there. And so, you know, that's both, both, both are beautiful. And I think both have absolutely, uh, valid, uh, valid place in God's kingdom. So yeah, 100%. All righty. He says, uh, my name shall be great among the Gentiles, great among the nations, but you profane it by saying the table of the Lord is defiled. Um, well, this is more about, um, this is more about, you know, bringing the wrong, bringing, bringing the wrong sacrifices to God for the wrong reasons. And um, but this idea that that his name is going to be great among the Gentiles, you know, Israel has had this pride that this has all been for them and they've tried to hold it so close to the vest. And, you know, God is is saying that, uh, no, this is going to be this is going to be everywhere. It's going to go to everyone. And it really does go to everyone. Like we're almost here at the end of the the Old Testament. And I, you know, I, I realized that all throughout the Old Testament, God has been saying the same thing over and over again. Like the point of me blessing you, Israel, is so that the Gentiles will see and come and know the true God. Like that's how he words it. He always talks about them, the other people, the ones he hasn't reached yet. And he's very interested in, in you know, getting people to know the truth about himself, his love, his kindness, um, his provision, uh, you know, everything that he's done. You know, I think we see this just from the very beginning is that Israel has always been on the precipice of doing something great and falling short right at that crucial time. You know, I think back and what sticks out the most is is Hezekiah to um, to be granted extra years of life, you know, by basically 
petitioning and praying to the Lord and saying, look, look, everything I've done, I've tore down the high places. Um, I've brought your people back to worship you, which, like you said, it's been that way from the beginning. And every time they get to this crucial moment, they fall mm-hmm. and they, they fall harder and harder. And those those lessons become harder and harder for them. And God is simply saying once again, you know what? Just do what I ask you to do. Give me what I ask you to give. Give me the sacrificial um, things that we have talked about. Don't don't cut corners because it's not going to be yours forever. Mm-hmm. You know, he sent them into exile. You know, he's had their enemies run over them, and yet they're still not getting it. So it's once again, it's another if then mm-hmm. you know, kind of scenario. And it's like, OK, step it up at this point. Yeah, I get the impression this is kind of a last ditch thing. It's like, you guys, this is it. Do it. Do it now or forget it. What I was wondering about as I was reading it was it in the next verse, um, or I guess it's verse 13. He says, behold, what a weariness. You have said, what a weariness. And, and it almost is like pointing out that the priests have gotten bored or frustrated with their work. And so what I kept thinking about was how rare it is for us anywhere in the Bible to find one of the priests who is interacting with God. Like it's always, I mean, one of our minor prophets was an almond farmer, right? Um, And then we have, you know, Jonah as a prophet. We have all these different prophets who come from different classes, but it's super rare to find an individual who's deeply interacting with God, who's actually of the priestly caste. So we have Samuel, we have Zechariah, and then um, Joshua. Um, Joshua, the one who was like the brand from the burning. And, you know, we, we saw that interaction where uh, Christ and Satan are fighting over him. Uh, and so it, it's just super interesting to me that you would think that the individuals who are actively administering these sacrifices would be very, very aware of the fact that this is symbolic of the coming of the Messiah. And yet this shows us they're bored. They're mm-hmm. a little bit bored with it all and you're like what so yeah that that was something i kept thinking about that is interesting because i don't i don't know if any of the prophets we listen to or read about i don't know if any of them were priests right, do you remember yeah yeah there don't seem you know you think about any job you do what one thing that always reminds me guys uh when i was 16 i worked for mcdonald's and i remember working one sunday morning and it was crazy busy i mean it was you know i'm working up i'm working one of the registers and it's take the order get the food out move to the next person and go 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 and all of a sudden we had a lull and i stopped a moment and i looked up and as if my eyes were open all of a sudden i realized the place was full of people not just customers you know and so it had just become such a such a routine mundane thing that I had just gotten in the mode of do it, do it, do it, do it, but hadn't stopped to think about what it was I was doing, you know, and, and realizing, no, this is people, this is families. These are friends who have come to, you know, in, enjoy lunch together. If you want to call nice. McDonald's food, you know, but, but, you, but in doing the work constantly, I had forgotten what I was doing. You know, I was just, I was just doing it blindly and kind of, kind of forgetting about, you know, all the nuances of it. And so I can sort of imagine how a how the priests could probably get that way too if they don't stay stop and take time to think about what they're doing. I imagine it's hard for pastors and stuff too to if they don't if they don't have you know their personal time, their devotional time to really think about it and stop and think about their relationship with God 
I can imagine how it would, how it could become just a routine and, and, you know, just like the rest of us, we wake up and go, Oh, I got to go to work again. In Isaiah, there were, when we were going through Isaiah, there were three verses that stood out to me about the spiritual purpose of God's people on earth. Right? So here's, here's the three verses. So there's Isaiah 42, six, which says, I will keep you and make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles. Then there's Isaiah 49, 3, which says, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will show my glory. Right. So there's supposed to be a pass through process. And then a few verses later in verse six of that same chapter, it says, I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. So as distracted as Israel has gotten and fast forwarding to us, because now we're now we're the people, you know, post crucifixion life of Christ sacrifice. We're supposed to be the ones Christians who state that they believe in God are supposed to be the ones who are the city on a hill. Right. Mm -hmm. But all of this hinges on the original duties of the tribe of Levi. Now the church is the holy and royal priesthood, right? Doesn't Peter talk about that? Mm -hmm. Yes. That's us now. So yeah. everything that the book of Malachi, to me, says about the priests dropping the ball, if you apply that to us now, that's anyone who claims the name, the name of God. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we're the royal priesthood. It's now yeah. our job, our responsibility, if we claim the name of Christ to be the example on earth, for what is supposed to happen. That's just kind of my take on it. No, you're absolutely right. Cause we're, we're the priesthood, the new, you know, as we get into the new Testament, we start learning of these things. We're the priesthood. It's not just the Levites anymore. It's, it's, yeah, it's believers. Yeah, absolutely. So that was, that was the kind of the thing that jumped out to me, like all the way through this is like, you know, the covenant this and the covenant that and the covenant through blah, blah, blah. And then what the remnant does, how the faithful rent. You know, I was just like, oh, hey, whoa, this is like yeah. straight to the heart, man. Um, yeah. So that was reminding me of uh, John chapter 11, verses 51 and 52. Um, and he spake not of himself, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus should die for that nation and not for that nation only, but also that he should gather together in one the children of God that are scattered abroad. Isn't that great? Mm -hmm. Love that yeah. verse. Yeah. Well, you know, something that strikes me as a bit ironic here, though, too, is Israel was intended to be, they were intended to be that example that people would gravitate to. They were supposed to be, they were supposed to show the ideal of what God had had planned and had in, had in mind, but yet through their failings, they really became. They're still an example to us of of well, sort of what not to do. But they're really an example to us of the failings of mankind in general, and even even the modern day church of the failings of our, of the modern day church as we do things for the wrong reasons, as we neglect to do things, as we neglect that relationship with Christ that we're intended to have. And as we look at the Old Testament, we can see how those old patterns really never, we just have a tendency to 
continue to fall into those old patterns in our personal lives, in our worship lives, uh, you know, just in general. And so while Israel was intended to be one kind of, of example, they ended up still being an example, but of a different sort. Mm, yeah. Well, as we get into chapter two, there's a, there is a message given specifically to the priests. Uh, and it's essentially, it's a curse if they don't listen and take it to, to heart. They're, you know, the, the priesthood is intended to be the leaders. And if, if they're not listening, if they're not doing what God says, if they're, not, if they're not actively trying to, you know, if they're not representing God well, then the things they do just become, just become curses. And, uh, you know, it's going to co- go down through the generations. Uh, just the, that, that snowball effect of, of you know, one, one upon the other. But he talks about how the priests should be knowledgeable and the people should, you know, they should be able to go to the priest to learn the law, to understand better what God wants. And the priest should be the one to do that. And the priests really haven't been doing a great job of that. Yeah, I think that's a big take-home message from this chapter is just that this the law should be in their hearts and 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 they should be the priests should be a source to the people of you know how are we going to learn God's ways and so he does very clearly say this should come from the lips of the priests and then I love verse 10 I think verse 10 is so important to our understanding like if we are priests to the world the church should really be um showing the world that um you know, in this time of increased racism, in this time of concern over, you know, demographics and all that kind of stuff, here's the Bible saying, have we not all one father? Didn't Mm. one God create us? And I think, man, the church should really be the place where people turn and say, oh yeah, that's exactly the truth. The truth of the matter is we are God's children, all of Mm -hmm. us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that it should be the place that we can come to where all those differences are set aside, economic status is set aside, racial status is set aside, yes. uh, all those things, you know, where we just come together and we're brothers and sisters and we're friends and we're family. You know, we use the term church family. Are we really embracing that concept? Because, because yes, I mean, as we look out at the world, it's, it, you know, I, I, I've had to confess many times that I can tend to be a rather judgmental person. And, you know, if you don't do the things exactly the way I... <laughs> no, I've, never, I've never noticed that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <Never>. <laughs> but I, 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 I recognize it and I'm working on it. You know, I'm trying to remember, no, you know what, that person has their walk. They have their, you know, their, their situation is different than mine. I don't know why they are the way they are. I don't know why they like what they like. But just because their walk is different than mine doesn't make me superior. It's just different. And that's that's something that I struggle with. And I think we probably all struggle with. You know, I think it's interesting that we are, you know, I was studying it this week and we looked at it and our men's group, we had a really good conversation this Monday about the same thing mm-hmm. where, you know what, we tend to get into church and we, we gravitate to those that are just like us. And we have the ability there to lay all that stuff aside and become one big family. And I think that's always a struggle for church is doing that, is to leave the world behind and just keep our eyes focused on the creator and become that one family with one father. And I think that's, you know, that's something we should all strive for. It's hard, 
you don't see it very often, but you know what? We need to increase that circle in church to, to one big family. Yeah. I agree. Totally. Um, although I also think it's completely natural for us to be attract more attracted to some people to hang out with than other people. I think even within the body of Christ, we're going to have people we get along with better where our, our vision, our way of communicating, our personalities, we just click better. That So I don't think that necessarily being pulled towards some people is some kind of sin, but you wouldn't right. want to become exclusive and think that me and my people, my favorites over here, are the only ones who have the corner on the gospel or the only ones that are valued by God or we're some kind of symbol for what should be. That's where the line gets crossed, I think. Mm -hmm. I had this interesting experience this week. So I was driving over to a client's house and I'm just driving through ye old average neighborhood, no big deal. And there, I had to pass a business. There was a business right on the main street and it was trash day in this neighborhood. So everybody's trash cans are out. And here comes a guy, just this random guy, never seen him before in my life. We'll never see him again. And he comes out and he's got this big old whatever wad of something from his business. And he is trying to stuff it into the trash can. We've all done this, right? You get into the wrestling match with the piece of trash that's really needs to be compressed in order to fit into the trash can. But if you don't get it in there, the trash company won't take it, you know, on and on like this. He's just going about his day. But there was something in that. Like, I, I don't know what it was. I, I looked at him and all I could think was that that person, that person is me. That person is as, that person has to God, that person is like, I don't know that person. I don't know the first thing about him, probably never will. But God knows that person as well as he knows me. That man is living out his little life the best that he can. And God is desperately trying to reach him and grow him up and turn him into a Christ-like person as much as he is me. I don't know. It was just like this weird sort of sobering moment that jumped out at me. It was like, we're, we're all equal. That utter stranger mm -hmm. could be me. Like that's yeah. just me out there stuffing trash can with trash and getting annoyed at it. Cause it won't go in. God knows that person as well as he knows every single other person on the earth. And I was just really just floored by it. Yeah, any given day, our situation could end up just like somebody else's, and we 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 don't know what could push us there. We have no idea. I'm not and, even talking about the situation. I'm talking about yeah. the individual. That oh, yeah. individual yeah. is just 100% known by Christ oh, yeah, the yeah. same way I feel like I'm known by Christ. There's mm -hmm. nothing different between me and him. And yet, to me, he's an utter stranger. And I was just like, oh, whoa, this is weird. Yeah. Yeah, uh, it's like a whole sermon in a half a second in my head. Uh, yeah. Right, right, right. No, I think that's awesome. And I think that's one of the things that the Holy Spirit does for us is he allows us to start seeing around us. Like we can suddenly mm -hmm. see the struggles of other people. We can understand that even though that person is completely different from us uh, politically, socioeconomically, blah, 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 blah. Like every detail can be completely different. And yet we begin to see that person as someone loved by Christ, someone who is real and whole and has their own story. And to me, a big part of that is just when you take on the, the real story of the creation, when you begin to think that other human beings are made by the hand of God, 
and that the whole creation is an expression of his wonderful mind, then you start to be able to just look around you and be like, whoa, this is all so cool. And then you, you, you're not capable anymore of putting people in boxes or looking at other people and saying, well, they're not doing it right. Mm. You know, all, all of a sudden you're really, truly seeing other people. That, was yeah, I think that all kind of runs together. And sometimes I think you need to try stuff on just a microscopic level where I like to use our podcast as an example is that, you know, I've said it before. It's like we did exactly what Karen said. We took four different people from four different walks of life. We put them, you know, in front of a mic for three years and it went from being just a talking point to us being able to text on a on almost sometimes a daily basis you know to interact with each other on things that have nothing to do with with um the bible day to day some days it's just how's it going you know how's your day going what's going on in your life you know let's share a a funny scenario or something or a picture of the weather and i think that's what we did on a microscopic kind of level when you look at that is saying that you know what when your focus is on the word and you're digging through it and you're, you know, here comes the pitch when you're journeying through the Bible is that it, keeping it, your eyes focused on the creator is going to draw you closer to, to his people, no matter what walks of life they are, they're on um, because the focus is God. Well, and I think that's the difference between um, unity and uniformity. That mm. makes sense. Yeah. You know, I, yeah. and I think sometimes we 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 sort of conflate them and they're not conflatable. Like the right. body of Christ, if the body of Christ was uniform, well, Paul spends verse after verse talking about that and knowing him probably all in one long run on sentence. It's like the, <laughs> the eye can't be the hand. The hand can't be the foot. The foot can't be the spine. Right. There, there's a reason that the body of Christ is diverse. So. Yeah, unity and uniformity. But I mean, we humans, we like the feel of uniformity because it makes us feel okay about ourselves. But it's, and I think it's, I think we struggle if you look at all the forms of bigotry that have, you know, taken over the earth over the years. And, and they talk about it here. Do we not all have one father? Did not, did not one God create us? Why do we profane the covenant of our ancestors by being unfaithful to one another? Oh my goodness. Mm -hmm. Like, what a strange way to think of it. Like, by by our natural tendency to want uniformity, we're profaning the covenant of God. Oh, my. Yeah, that covenant that he says is of, uh, how do you put it, um, life and peace. That's what the covenant right. is supposed to be about is life and peace. It's not supposed right. to be about doing the right things. It's not supposed to be about finger pointing by any means. It's not supposed to be about holding things over other people. And it seems like that's per perhaps what the priests have been doing is it says, how do they put it? It says um, they've they've shown partiality in the law. And it would seem like some of the times from what we have read in the past, it's not it's not always, well, you have to do it and you don't have to do it. It seems like a lot of times it's like you have to do it, but I don't. It's but it's it's supposed to be about bringing together. It's supposed to be about promoting good things uh, and, and not just about, quote unquote, doing the right thing, uh, because, you know, as we grow clo closer to God, it should just be a natural thing that that our lives exhibit 
um, better behaviors, better, you know, better thought patterns, better speech patterns. We should just naturally start to reflect Christ as we come closer and closer to him. But if we're either focusing too much on what we have to do or, you know, I guess the flip side of that is if, well, if we're not focusing enough on that relationship, then that doesn't get reflected and that life and peace doesn't get uh, exuded from us. You know, it doesn't come out of our pores like it should. And that's the problem that God is having with this priesthood right now. And, and, and yeah, so as, as we've started to be, you know, uh, become more and more of an us and them, we're really called as Christians to, to be the ones reaching out and, and, and embracing people and calling them together and, and, you know, be a part, be, be with, be with this, you know, he says an abomination has been committed. Judah has married the daughter of a foreign God. Well, this is, I think this is somewhat literally, somewhat uh, figuratively in that the people, you know, I think, uh, what did we just, who did we just finish studying? Nehemiah, where in Nehemiah, he had to call him out again, stop marrying the pagan women, pagan, you know, stop bringing, stop giving your wife, your daughters to the pagan men. Um, so that's, that's one aspect of it. But then also, you know, the idolatry and, and um, just an infidelity to God where, where, we divide our attentions all the time and we don't place that attention on God. And, and we, we, you know, maybe we're focusing on politics too much. We're focusing on focusing on work, uh, our work too much, or, you know, worried about friendships and things like this more than we're worried about more than we're concerning ourselves with our relationship with, with God. So this last part of the chapter was really interesting to me in that God put so much emphasis on relationship and here is you know part of the uh a, a little view into how god looks at divorce and he calls it treachery he says because you have been treacherous to the wife of your youth and and so to me it was like wow that's an interesting way to put it you know like it's um it's like a backstabbing, a cruelty, um, rather than just, you know, we're pretty callous about divorce in our culture. Um, mm -hmm. And here's God saying, no, it's an affront to me because you're harming this other individual. You're hurting this person. And, um, you know, I come from a long line of divorces. And I know from the inside, it's so destructive, like generation after generation in our family. Uh, and, and it's just so interesting to me that God can see inside of that. Of course he can, of course, but he can see inside of that and take away the callousness and mm -hmm. yeah, and make it more about, you know, don't harm this other person. Don't hurt her. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. The, the marriage is supposed to be representative of the relationship with, with, with God. You know, God constantly calls the church his bride uh, and Jesus is constantly referred to as the bridegroom. And that relationship is supposed to be as intimate as as a as a relationship between a man and a woman in a marriage situation. And we you know, we talk about knowing your spouse or when Adam knew Eve, you know, that's in a sexual context. But it's also just about an unbridled intimacy. Uh, yes. Uh, yes. There's nothing there is no more. It, it, there can be nothing more intimate than that relationship. 
So this, I've got this parallel Bible that has two translations and two paraphrases all lined up next to each other. So verse 16 um, in the New King James and then in the NIV. So the New King James is a word to word translation and it reads like this. For the Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce for it covers one's garments with violence. It's an odd phrase. Mm -hmm. Says the Lord of hosts. Therefore, take heed for your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. All right, and then you've got the NIV, which is a meaning-to-meaning -meaning translation. It says, the man who hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord, the God of Israel, does violence to the one he should protect, says the Lord Almighty. So be oh, on wow. your guard and do not be unfaithful. So that's kind of interesting. That's by powerful. Drawing, and like, exactly like you're saying, Matt, by, by drawing the comparison with the marital relationship, you know, we see how, first of all, how our marriages are supposed to work. And then we can, we can take that lens and we can look at God and we can see how we're the unfaithful one. And he is the one who is continually, you know, we are the ones dealing treacherously or being unfaithful to him so often when the call is to be faithful and true instead. Mm -hmm. I thought that was kind of interesting. And I like the NIV's version of that. That made a lot of, that made a lot of sense to me. It does mm -hmm. violence to the one he should protect. Yeah, I wrote that down. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, not not coming from any kind of a personal real experience with divorce other than seeing family members get divorced. I mean, my on my dad's side, my parents are the only ones. Of his brothers and sisters and his parents, or at least his dad, who are married to their original spouse on my mom's side. Let me think my aunt was divorced. My uncle, I know he had a wife previous too. And so, so, you know, my, my, my past, like you know, kind of like what I'm saying, thinking you're saying there, Amy, is my past is, you know, I come from a long line of, of bad relate, you know, broken relationships. Let's say it that way, broken relationships. Um, and so when it comes to divorce, it's so, you know, I think when God says he hates it, I don't think he's necessarily saying that it should never happen because there's times when things are so broken, they just have to be, you have to sever it, but he hates it because that's not what he wants. He hates it because that's not the ideal. The ideal is for, to come together, to be one, to be closer and, and, uh, and, and, and work together. I just wanted to say on a lighter note, so, uh, you know, my generation now has looked back on all those divorces and we're so committed to the idea that no, 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 no divorce, that Calvin and I have a prenuptial agreement that if it gets that bad, we're taking a six shooter each out into the yard and last man standing takes it all. <laughs> <laughs> all right, that sounds like a, for a copy of that. <laughs> that sounds like a very mature and, and responsible way to deal with that, Amy. <laughs> And by that, I mean not much. So I guess my follow-up question to that is, who is it that practices shooting? Oh, that would be <laughs> on <me>. the daily. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like which, uh, which one of you is keeping up on your sharpshooter skills? I guess that's my question there. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Which one well, grew okay, up Okay, so that would be me. <laughs> so I, you know what, we, what I was remembering while we were talking about this was. Um, uh, what's the text where in the, it's in the New Testament where 
one of the apostles is preaching. He says, well, in the, um, in the past, God allowed divorce because your hearts were hardened. And so yeah. I have it here. If you it's take this Matthew idea, who said that? Was that Jesus or was that one of the apostles? It must have been Jesus if it was in Matthew. It was Jesus. I think it was Jesus. Yeah, Matthew 5.32. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's Sermon on the Mount. Yeah, yeah. 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 Okay, so even better. <laughs> so in other words, it's plan B, right? He made, a, mm -hmm. he made a, a plan for it and a path for it because humans weren't able to live up to the idea of a longstanding covenant. And so it would at least allow the people who were now trapped in this bitter, unfair relationship to have a chance at something, to at least be free of it, right? So, okay, I get that. I think, and I think we can all think of plenty of human examples where we wouldn't have, have wished for the people who were in that relationship to stay. Like, oh my goodness, did you see how broken that thing got, right? But when it comes to the relationship between us and God, the advantage that I see is that one of us is perfect. And it ain't the human end, ever. Yeah, right. So when it comes to the relationship with God, if there's a broken covenant, it's us. If yeah. there's unfaithfulness, it's us. If there's treachery, it's us, right? So when you get mm -hmm. to a longstanding covenant between two flawed, broken humans, that gets to be kind of an iffy, an iffy thing. And you have to have more grace with each other. And maybe there needs to be the possible ability to get out if things go terribly awry. But between us and God, the only reason that relationship will fail is our end. Mm hmm. Exactly. I've uh, I, I've tried to adopt the, the the point of view in my mind. If I find myself myself at odds with God, I need to check myself because God has constantly proven himself to be faithful and just and true. And so if I'm having a trouble with having trouble with something he has said or something he's done, I need to I need to check myself and go, OK, what where where am I off? Why am I not on board with this? What's what's going on here? Um, so, you know, when studying the studying the Bible, if I don't either don't understand or, or I'm having struggle with something that it's saying or teaching, I I have to remember, no, God is the, God is right. And I'm probably wrong or I am wrong, you know, and then rearranging my thought processes to get on board. I love James one verse 17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, in whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. And I, that verse to me is everything about why I love God, because mm -hmm. he isn't changeable. You know, to what Karen's saying, he, he's the rock solid one. He's the one who loves you always. You know, whither can I flee from your spirit? How can I... You know, you're always with me. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. Right. You know, that's who he is. He is the rock solid thing. And we never encounter that anywhere else. Everyone else in our experience changes on us. You think you know someone, you love someone, and they hurt you. Or they do something where you're like, you're not quite who I thought you were. And, and so I love that verse because he doesn't vary. Yeah, that's a that's a good one. And it, and it reminds me of Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Mm -hmm. 
And so that really goes back to that whole covenant of, of life and peace and how we're supposed to, you know, we're intended to live into that, live, live that and, and benefit from it. And, and, and so, like I was saying before here, it was, is, as this chapter ends and he talks about how God says, you've wearied me with your words and, and, and you say, where is the God of justice? And, you know, we've spent three years studying about the God of justice and seeing how he is just, he's constantly just, and he's always been just. And just because somebody gets away with something right now, doesn't mean that God is making it okay. Or, or that, you know, they're going to get off scot-free from it, but God himself is just, and he is right, and he is righteous. Malachi 3, things really start to get interesting now, especially, I think, as this is the last chapter of the Old Testament, and we've been walking this path of seeing the, the we've been seeing the way the road has been kept clear for the Messiah to come. And as we get into this and, and we get this prophecy, behold, I send my messenger. And that word messenger, interesting, is where the word Malachi is the same word as the word Malachi. So Malachi, as a, as the title of the book, could be referring to uh, a person's name as the author. But it could very well uh, just be a title of the book, I think, possibly in relation to this message. Like. Okay, you guys, you got to get things in gear because there's something coming. Then we've been working up to this. We've been building up to this. And so behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way for me. Well, we know hindsight looking at this, that this is talking about John the Baptist as he is talking about the coming of Messiah, the coming of Jesus. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. This is stuff we look back and obviously we're talking about Jesus. We we can see that this prophecy pointing to something that's going to be hundreds of years later from this context is talking about Jesus and this messenger of John the Baptist preparing the way, continually pre preparing the way and opening the way for Messiah to come. It talks about the messenger of the covenant. The messenger of the covenant is coming. The Lord is that messenger of the covenant. And I take this as to being the one who gave the covenant. And so as we read that and we look at that in hindsight, we can see that Jesus is the one who gave the covenant. We've been talking about Jesus through the entire Old Testament. We can't separate the two because, because yes, we, I mean, we call him Jesus now. Maybe he wasn't called Jesus at the time, but I think we're still talking about the same God. I mean, of course we're talking about the same God. We're Christians. We understand, we, well, we, I was going to say we understand the Trinity. Trinity, we don't, but, um, but, <laughs> <laughs> but when we, if, if we have a, if we have this, um, temptation to want to set aside the old testament is like no that's the old stuff that's not important anymore and and only study new testament stuff we're missing out on so much of of who jesus is how he is the god of justice how he is the god of mercy how he is the god who gave the law who made the covenant who was constantly correcting and leading and guiding well two things i 
I just want to say thank you for saying that we don't understand the Trinity <laughs> <laughs> because, because I am in, in my life and with my friends and whatnot. Uh, I feel like there is often a tendency to try to define, uh, you know, what people believe about this part of the nature of this portion of the deity and all these esoteric questions that, that really we cannot fully comprehend. And so mm. to put someone else in a box for believing differently about one of the finer points of the nature of the deity has always struck me as very odd. We're not capable of understanding every detail. I want to look at those things. And so I still have friendships with people I studied theology with who care about those things. So I like those discussions. On the other hand, I feel like, yeah, we don't get it. Um, yeah. <laughs> yes, and then the others. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say speculation is fun, but that's yes. all it is. Yeah. But yeah. carry on. Well, and then just this this idea of Christ coming and this, you know, this person coming before him who is the, you know, preparing the way is so powerful in the New Testament. And and he calls John the greatest prophet. And, and you know, we have here a prophecy about a prophet who's going to come. And I find that extremely interesting. I like the part in, in um, chapter three. I, I agree with what you were saying. Like, I love the theological discussions. I'm fascinated by them. I am under no impression that we will at actually reach concrete results here on earth that we can take into heaven. And I still think that probably during the first thousand years we're in heaven, the most common word that we humans will say is, oh. Like, I don't I don't think there's going to be a single human, a single denomination. I don't care what level of education you have. There's you're going to be sitting in heaven with your mouth hanging open for years and years and years, whatever that means in heaven going. Hmm. Oh, I was way off. That's what that meant. Right. OK, I, just leave room for leave room for that later. But yeah, I, um, but I love this. So one of my favorite texts in James is the one where it says true and undefiled religion before God the Father is this. Mm -hmm. You guys remember this? Oh, yeah. We care for widows and orphans in their trouble and yes. keep yourself unspotted from the world. Yep. Okay. So now here in uh, Malachi 3, 5, it says, so I will come to put you on trial. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, and perjurers, against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless, so somebody who doesn't have a protector, and deprive the foreigners among you of justice. But do not fear me. <laughs> <laughs> well, so no, it's an yeah. interesting, I mean, that list kind of tells you what the local problems were, which is kind of an interesting glimpse into history. But if you look at those, like those aren't exclusive to the time of Malachi. Those are human character problems. Oh, yeah. Even the sorcerer stuff, <laughs> especially these days. Oh, it's such an interest in the supernatural and such. Um, but, and, and, oh, my but goodness, the, you guys, there's this lady. There's this lady that reads tarot cards and says she, she gets Bible prophecy from them. I'm like, mm, I feel like I that's think, not true. Okay. Yeah, I don't think so. I don't think so. But the whole the whole premise of all those is that these people don't. He says, because they don't fear me, they don't. Uh, these these are not people who are on my side, essentially. So this, you know, what Karen was saying, I think is so important. You know, these are, towards the end here, 
people who don't have a protector. These are individuals who need our help and our protection. And and I think especially in those deep theological discussions with friends, um, you start to realize when someone has decided that a philosophical ascent to a certain point of theology has become more important to them than the actual work that the church is required to do. Like the Lord says to us, please go take lunch to that widow. Please make sure Mm. that kid has the help that he needs because he doesn't have a daddy, you know, and that is the work of the church. And we cannot let ourselves be caught up in, you know, we can play with a little bit of theological speculation, like you were saying, Matt, but the Mm -hmm. work of the church is not to make sure that we have the right philosophical understanding. It is to feed the hungry. Right. Right. Yeah. I love talking to theology. You know, I love studying theology and talking about it, but this isn't, you know, I mean, as much as I have loved this podcast over the last three years, this isn't where it's found. I mean, I'm hoping that this will help people to grow closer to God, but you're not going to, we're not the be all end all. This is, this is not, this is not Christianity. It's a tiny piece of it, but it's mm-hmm. how you treat your fellow human beings, how you treat those people who are in need. Are you, mm-hmm. you know, are you just turning a blind eye or are you willing to just step out and help them? And we're, you know, you know, here in our area, it's, it's tough. I struggle with this to a degree because there's so many people with their hand out and you constantly wonder, is that guy on the side of the road legitimate? Or is he just wanting to buy weed, you know? Um, and I know some people are like, you know what? I give him a buck and I let God deal with it. I'm like, okay, great. You know, that's great for you. Um, but at the same time, I'm, I'm curious, you know, am I, am I enabling or am I helping? And so I like to try to, personally, I like to try to find the places where I know I'm actually helping. Um, and, not, mm-hmm. and, not, and not just making myself feel good, you know. But um, that's each their own. I'm not telling anybody what to do. Well, I agree with that. And I, I, I work in community mental health and I am astounded at the level of need. There are never enough resources. Mm-hmm. And for every person who has legitimate need, there's a person next to them who is sort of sliming their way through the system, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like if they put half it of the ingenuity <laughs> required into sliming the system that if they put half the energy they put into sliming the system into improving their own life they wouldn't need those things so it gets it gets really really frustrating do you just give do you i mean like the bible says give to all who ask of you really okay well oh i don't Mm -hmm. earn that much sorry the bible everywhere i turn there's a handout who will not work should not eat yeah right and and so if and 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 we don't know the details of someone else's life. So how do we do it, right? So we organize the benefits and we contribute over here to this organization and that organization vets the need and we have to trust that, right? And so that gets that gets kind of, that gets tough. It really does get tough. But all that was, that was an add-on. All I was going to say mm-hmm. was um, this podcast has helped me. I've gotten a lot out of this. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. That's all I was going to say. No, absolutely. No, no, you're 100% <laughs> I just kind right. Of wandered off into the rest of it. Yeah, no, you're good. You're absolutely right. Because I don't feel like I'm the same person. In fact, <laughs> I don't feel like I'm the same person I was three years ago. Because in fact, um, I've started doing a, um, a, a, a study group based on the podcast, which required me to go back and listen to our very first episode. <laughs> and I sound like a total idiot on it. 
<laughs> first episode. <laughs> I probably still sound like a total idiot, but now I sound like a total idiot. I was just going to say, Matt, there's been something I've been meaning to talk to you about. <laughs> but now I sound like a total <laughs> idiot who knows how to run a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but no, my my mental path, my mental, my my thought processes are different than they were three years ago as I've grown closer yep. to God. And I'm finding yep. myself more attuned to people and their needs. And I'm finding myself friends with different people that I never thought I would have been before, and especially in the church and, and, and trying to, you know, not just, not just stick to my little click, which I have, of course we do, you know, that's just a natural thing, but to also greet other people and talk to them and get to know them and become friends with them and find that you can, you can actually, you can kind of actually find yourself a part of lots of different different groups mm -hmm. and, yeah. and, and you know, be a little pollinator of sorts, if you will. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I, you know, yes, the studying of the studying of who Christ is has definitely changed my life over the last three years. And I think I'm better for it. One hundred percent. There's a section in. Um, yeah. There were two verses, two, mm, three, three verses at the end of chapter three that I really liked. And it's 16 through 18. And it says. Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other, and the Lord listened and heard. All right, so this is in the middle of apostate Israel, who he's been scolding for the rest of this book, right? Mm -hmm. And amongst apostate Israel, there is a faithful remnant. Those who feared the Lord talked with each other, and the Lord listened and heard. A scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. On the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty, they will be my treasured possession. I will spare them, just as a father has compassion and spares his son who serves him. And you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. So that's cool to me. Mm -hmm. And it's a reminder that whether or not our private conversation feeds our beliefs or detracts from our beliefs they are noted and recorded mm -hmm. like when you're talking about god almighty you're talking about the one being aside from like the government agencies who tracks every word that you say mm -hmm. that was a joke i'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> you get what I'm saying. Like, yes, that's, I do. I mean, there's that's important. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, we we can never hide from God, and and yes, the uh, as you know, it talks about that book of remembrance, and and um, I, I wonder who the book of remember. I don't think the book of remembrance is probably for God's sake i have a feeling it's probably for our sake so that somewhere down the road when we're you know we'll, we'll be able to look at the books and see you know where things went good where things went bad and, and have an understanding of why god has acted has done what he has done i have a feeling that that's uh that's who the book is going to be for we'll see so I had highlighted all of that. Like that was so special, that portion of it. And especially where it said, um, you know, of them that feared the Lord and thought upon his name. Like that's, that's what he's asking of us. He's like, meditate on me. Like think about me, get to know me and everything's going to be different. Everything's going to change completely for you. If you'll just spend time trying to understand who I am. 
And to me, those verses mean exactly that. Like he says to us, you can know me. You can actually know the creator God of the universe. If you'll just take a little time, talk to each other about what you have discovered and just meditate on my name. And Mm -hmm. that, that was super cool. Yeah. 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 Yeah, absolutely. It is cool. I mean, we probably should. Was I interrupting somebody? Well, I started to say, yeah, maybe we should talk about the tithing thing, because if someone hasn't, maybe people haven't heard about that or they think it's legalistic. And yet it's so Mm -hmm. full of promise. It really is. And I think we've Mm -hmm. probably all experienced it. Yeah. So it does right there in the middle of chapter three of Malachi, it does talk about the tithes and offerings and, you know, talking about the money is always distasteful. Uh, we have a kind of a policy at our church not to talk about money from the pulpit. And, um, you know, we just kind of let let the spirit lead each person in that thing. But even within that, we've recognized that our a lot in our denomination don't quite understand how it all works. Um, and I know different denominations do it differently. Tithes and offerings are sometimes considered the same thing and sometimes they're considered different things. And so I don't necessarily need to dwell on that aspect of it, but the idea of that we do need to contribute to the work in, in a fashion. And um, in this, with the tithes and offerings, they're talk, they're not so much talking money in this aspect, but more of what they produce during the year. But for us, our production tends to uh, uh, you know, culminate in a financial sense. And so, you know, if you think about a dollar, you think about what it takes for you to make a dollar, um, that's your time. And that's your, it represents your time. It represents your talent and what you're giving to God. And those tithes and first fruits offerings were intended to be off the top. They were supposed to be before anything else. You, you, you contribute to the kingdom of God. You contribute to that work and is it because God needs our money? No, he could do it without our money. But we need to be able to contribute to the work, to be involved, to be a piece of it, to be a part of it. We can't expect that it's just going to happen um, without some involvement. And so that's why that's why this is important. He says, you've robbed me in tithes and offerings. And well, how have we robbed you? In the tithes and offerings. You haven't You haven't done it. And and you've forgotten where it all came from to begin with. So I find the wording of this particularly interesting. He says, bring the, your tithes into the storehouse that there may be meat in my house. And we have to remember yep. that the, the way their economy was set up, it was like the, you know, the priests did not own land. They didn't have the, the agricultural produce. And so the point was you know, they're taking care of all these orphans that live in the temple. They're taking care of the widows, blah, blah, blah. And God says, I want these people to have quality food. I want to make sure that these people have what they need. And so you bring that. And then he says, and prove me in this. Like, I've told you to do it. If you do it, you watch because I will open the windows of heaven and there will be so much that your barns will overflow. Your, your, ability to provide for your family will increase when you trust me. And then um, to what you were saying, Matt, that this always intrigues me. Psalm 50 is the verse that people often talk about. Um, You know, my God owns the cattle on a thousand hills, people will Mm -hmm. say. And he does. Like he owns everything and he can provide anything in the deepest, darkest times in history. The Lord still is completely in control But when you read Psalm 50 in context, 
what he's saying is, um, like he says in verse 12, if I were hungry, do you think I would tell you? Like, mm -hmm. I don't need your stuff. Mm -hmm. I'm telling you that if you will honor me in this way, I will provide for you. But meanwhile, I'm not asking because I need your stuff. Right. Um, I'm the God who owns everything. He says, all the beasts of the forest are mine. So, um, and he, so it's just an interesting, it's a sarcastic verse in the old Testament where God is saying, you know, if I was hungry, you think I'd tell you, you know? Right. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know of anybody who I've ever heard of getting rich by, by giving tithes and offerings, but I do know countless numbers of people who I've heard who, when they were being faithful, still, even, even to the point where it hurt, still found their needs met sometimes in, in, in exactly. seemingly miraculous ways. But I have never heard of somebody who is legitimate. I'm not talking about people who have been fleeced by some crooked guy to give everything. You know, I'm not talking about that. That'd be that. But I'm talking about people who faithfully were returning tithes and offerings, who found their needs met. And who found themselves blessed, maybe not financially, but just their lives, their the peace in their life by mm -hmm. by giving that first uh, consideration to God in a financial way to represent our times and, and talents. They've been blessed by it. And so, so yes, while maybe not financially, uh, I've I've still seen people with needs met, and I've seen them with peace. I have seen in my own life that when I, when I wasn't following that, that things fell apart. When my first son was born, um, I started thinking I can't afford to do this now, and I started to see my finances decline. And when I finally got back into the into the habit of it, I started to see things get better. I'm not rich by any means. You know, we, you know, we kind of live a paycheck to paycheck life around here, but we feel blessed. Uh, you know, we're healthy, we're happy, and um, we don't we definitely don't regret supporting that work of God. I think what you were saying earlier, <clears throat> Amy, about you know the cattle on a thousand hills and stuff that that whole reference. Mm -hmm. I yeah. think that the trick is for us to become aware of wider needs. So it's easy for us to think with only our own needs and wants, mm -hmm. right? If the needs are covered, then I move on to my wants, right? And I, I think that it is easy for us to view the world myopically. Like I'm at the center and look, it doesn't really extend any further. Woohoo! But it does extend further and we, you know, that text, like where your treasure is, there also right. will be your heart. I think that's a key to understanding human nature, because if you want to know what someone values, look at what they spend money on. Yeah. So I think this is a, a training mechanism to teach us to think wider, think bigger, think higher, mm -hmm. and yes. to invest in that, because where we invest we our heart tends to go we tend to care where when we've put our money places mm -hmm. yeah uh what's the verse where you lay up your treasure there oh, i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna mess it up there your, heart, you, will be also. There your heart will be also mm -hmm. yep yeah and yeah. the treasure comes first it's not the opposite 
It's not where your heart is, there you'll put your treasure. No, it's the other way around. Mm -hmm. And that's a very mm -hmm. important distinction. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, the things we invest in, we are hoping for a return. You know, whether that be so stock market case, or whether that be time or whether that be the work of God. Mm -hmm. Yeah, all of the stewardship things. But in yeah. this case, he's talking about a tenth of your income and giving that to God for his work and for your awareness. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that tenth of the income, that comes from uh, uh, back in, I think that was Melchizedek. Melchizedek. Yeah. Yes, you're right, Tracy. That's right. Yeah. No, you are right. Yeah. Yeah. So that was, yeah, that was way back, way back. Um, and so if you haven't been in the habit of it, try it. God said, you know, this is one of the, uh, there's not a lot of times where God says, test me. Not specifically. Usually he's like, trust me. But this time he says, test it, try it out, see what I do. And so I would, I would encourage our listeners, if you haven't done it, give it a shot and see, see. See how God works for you. And uh, I'm not asking for money for the podcast. I'm not asking money for any particular denomination. I'm saying do it. Do it for God and, and see what happens. Well, um, I was wanting to point out a couple things in chapter four. Is it okay if I? Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Okay. So chapter four starts out by saying, you know, behold, a day is coming which will burn like an oven. And all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And they shall burn up, says the Lord, and it will leave neither root nor branch. And then and then there's a hopeful passage. But unto you that fear the name of the Lord, shall he arise to you with healing in his wings and you shall go forth joyfully as calves from the stall. And then he says, and you shall tread down the wicked and they shall be as ashes under the soles of your feet. So the reason I want to point those out is that. I think a lot of people don't trust God because of this concept that snuck into the church uh, during the Middle Ages, which was this ever-burning hell. Mm. And here we have a passage that says, um, because like the 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 way that the word forever is used, um, like in Revelation, you know, the wicked will burn forever. Mm -hmm. That's how it came through in the King James. But what the word actually means is burn up completely. And here mm -hmm. we have it, they, you know, there'll be ashes. It'll just someday be ashes. And and I, I think that's important to point out simply because literally this generation and the generation of our parents and grandparents started to turn away from God because of the idea of an ever burning hell. Like who keeps people alive in order to keep torturing them, right? A yeah. very evil God would do something like that. But he tells us, no, one day it will be over and it'll it'll all just burn completely up. Mm hmm. Yeah. Evil and wickedness will be destroyed, utterly destroyed. It won't be it's not going to be tortured forever because wh whose mind would ever be changed by by eternal torture? Are you ever would you ever find a love for a God that kept you <laughs> alive to torture you through eternity? That, you know, and if you're not loving God, then it just it just remains being wickedness and and a hatred for 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 that God. And so that doesn't make sense at all. But for mm -hmm. wickedness to be utterly destroyed, gone, never to return. Um, yeah, that that a lot of people have found much more comfort in that, knowing that either. Okay, if if God forbid I don't find myself in heaven, I'm not going to be tortured forever for it. You know, uh, not thinking that, you know, some little 
you know, teenage kid who did something stupid and died is going to be tortured forever. Just the same as Hitler's, you know, you know, you just mm-hmm. that, 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 that picture is such a picture of injustice, really. And when we've seen how God is just, and it's like, you know what? No, we're just going to get rid of it. We're going to get rid of it. And stubble, if you've thrown stubble, stubble is that little tiny stuff, the little bits of straw and grass and stuff that you, if you throw that in the fire, you watch it, it's gone. It's gone quickly. It doesn't sit there forever. It's not smoldering. It's just, it's gone. Well, and I was just thinking about the fact that, you know, someone may be listening who has never heard that before and they think, but, you know, they've also maybe imbibed the idea of natural immortality that we all eventually live Mm -hmm. forever and when we die we just either go to heaven or directly to hell but there's a super important passage in the new testament in uh, first timothy six uh so it says uh it's talking about god it says which in his times he shall show who is the blessed and only potentate the king of kings and lord of lords who alone has immortality dwelling in light which no man can approach unto and which no man has seen uh, to him be honor and power everlasting so this verse while it's just talking about the glory of god and the wonder of god is also telling us that he alone has immortality and then in first uh, corinthians 15 you know, paul talks about the fact that we will be given immortality but we don't have it naturally we don't you know that's not we're made of dust Like we Mm -hmm. are made of dust and God breathed into us and gave us life, but we're not naturally immortal. And then because of the gift of Christ, someday he will give us that. Um, Mm -hmm. So, so then, then when the wicked are finally destroyed, he's just laying them to rest. He's just saying, okay, I get it. You don't want to be with me. Um, But you know, I'm not going to keep you alive perpetually. And so Mm -hmm. he lets them go. And Mm -hmm. when he lets them go, they're at peace and it's over. Um, and then, we, you know, those who have chosen to follow God, he will give them immortality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, you know, while this can be seen as a proof text for what happens when you die, the real point of this, though, I think, as it's be, as it's coming to the end of the book, is that this is, it's basically a warning. It's just saying the end is coming and mm-hmm. you have a choice. You can go that way. Or you can go the way where you get to be like be be with God, where He will heal you. He says, "Will you be f- you'll you'll grow like stall fed calves. You will just you will be happy. You will be healthy. You will be prosperous. You will be you will just have the life that God always intended for you to have." And so, as we're coming to the the end of the book, as we're coming to the end of the of this message, and we're being told, "Look, stuff is coming." And you want to be with God. You want to be on his side. And so remember the stuff that he told you. Remember what he told Moses. He says, specifically says, remember the law of Moses, the statutes and judgments. And he says, remember, I will send you Elijah the prophet. And again, I think this is again talking about, I will send you a prophet who is going to, he, he is going to open that way. He's going to show you that way. Messiah is coming. What we've been building up for is coming and do what you can to be on the right side of that. You know, I think it, it's just once again points out that, you know what, I'm asking you to do this stuff, the, the if thens. But mm-hmm. just remember that you're not going to be alone. You're going to have helpers along the way. 
mm-hmm. people to help you stay on track. But just remember the laws of Moses. Yeah. And, and I think that's striking when he says, my servant. Because mm. that gives you the, the thing that, you know what? He did this right. He had he stumbled along the way. He did not make it into the promised land. But he was still my servant. I yeah. expect there to be difficulties. I expect you to falter. But just remember the law. Remember yeah. me. Choose mm-hmm. me. Exactly. You know, exactly. In, the, in the end, it's because if you don't, least I come and strike the earth with a curse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you don't you don't want to find yourself on that other side. And that's, you know, it's 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 not because God wants to see you gone. He wants to see you. He wants to see you with him. He wants you to be with him. He wants you to to live the life that he always intended for you to live. And he doesn't want to see you go the way of that wickedness that has to end. It has to. It cannot be allowed to continue. You know, and I think it's it's too, it's that um, that if we keep his keep our eyes focused on him, that all this stuff, all the peripheral stuff will fall away. You know, I think that's that's the biggest thing. It's like just keep keep you know, keep my name on your lips, keep my name in your heart, in your minds. You know what? And it'll it'll work out. Because if you do that, you're remembering all those things that the Lord said, all the mm-hmm. statutes that he gave you, all the instruction that he gave you. Yeah, well, it brings to mind that that old hymn. We may have even talked about this here before, but that old hymn, "Fix your eyes upon Jesus, mm-hmm. look look full in His wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and mm-hmm. grace." Yep. And you find yourself yeah. that the more the more you focus on Jesus, the less those other things be, are seem important to you. The you find that those things that once upon a time used to really bother you, you find, you know what, it's not that important to me anymore. Uh, you know, the things that used to attract you, you're like, I don't want to do that anymore. Um, and, and you know, and so when it's remembering the law of Moses, it's not do this stuff to be close to God. It's as you're close to God, you're going to do these things and it'll be more of a natural situation. I think, too, on a positive side, um, you know, at things falling away, our troubles look so big when we're inside of them. When mm-hmm. we're struggling with something terrible or a family member is sick or whatever, when we can get that perspective of heaven, wow, mm-hmm. you know, it really, really changes things as far as your ability to to be like, okay, this is all passing away. This is all in Jesus' hands and he's good. Mm-hmm. So we're okay. Yep. Yep. Well, and so now as we've We've come to the end of this book and, and we've come to the end of the Old Testament and we can look back on the things we've seen and seen how God has worked and seen how he has he has directed history to to open up the, the pathway for the Messiah to come. And now we're looking forward to it. It's been a it's been a journey. It's been a journey. And uh, I'm I'm better for it. I think all of you have kind of expressed here that you've been better for it. You know, I think between the four of us, we've probably all been to the Bible many, many times. And we've seen, you know, you see how you see how God works in this progression, this this constant progression. And so it's, um, you know, this this final message of Malachi to to remember. It's good for us to remember. Look back. Look back at that Old Testament. Look back at what God did. Look back at how he worked and re- and remember it and see how he was always there trying to prod his people along and not just rather a lot of times pull them along you know come on come on um 
And when they fell, he would just pick them back up. It's been a, it has been a journey. It has been a, it has been a journey. And so for it to be this, this last message being, uh, remember, and I will have people there to help you. That is, uh, that is a, that's a powerful way for us to, to uh, go into the next portion of what we'll be studying. Any other thoughts? Any last things before we, before we end? I have no thoughts. No thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that is the end of the Old Testament for us. And so starting with uh, next time, we're going to be getting into the Gospels. Um, it's going to be it's going to be a little bit all over the place. Um, well, sort of. We'll see the chronology be kind of easy, but of course the Gospels, if you're familiar with Scripture, the Gospels, you have the three what are known as synoptic Gospels. Oh, wow, can I say that? Synoptic Gospels, which are very similar to each other. And then you have the, uh, the book of John, which is uh, interesting from a different perspective. And uh, it's still the, the, the Gospel, but from a slightly different perspective. And so... For right now, what I'm going to say we're going to do is look at Luke chapters 1 and 2, and we will look at Matthew and John, both chapters, uh, chapter 1. So Luke 1, Luke 2, John 1, and Matthew 1, and we'll see how, see how that rolls. And I suspect that as we go through the gospel, we're going to, we're gospels, we'll probably slow down a bit. Um, but as we, but of course, with those being, those gospels being synoptic, there's a lot of um, overlap and uh, similarities that we'll be able to discuss. So uh, as what you are, uh, Luke 1, Luke 2, John 1, Matthew 1. In what in whatever order you choose, because <laughs> like I say, it's kind of all over. I think if I remember, yeah, Luke one Luke one begins with the birth of Jesus, and so you probably want to start there. The way I'm looking at it in my chronology here is Luke one, John one, Matthew one, Luke two. But if you read them, I think you'll probably just be just fine. So, um, so as you're reading those and waiting for us, remember you can reach out to us at attbpodcast at theadventure.org. You know what? I'm going to put out a special invitation right here because I would love to hear from our listeners. How has the Old Testament journey been for you? What have you learned through it? What has what has struck you different maybe than, than it has in the past? Um, have you have you found that it has uh, brought you closer to God? I would love to hear some input from you on that and know how how it's impacted you. So ATTB podcast at the adventure.org. Uh, remember, you can look us up on Facebook. Be sure you subscribe to the podcast. Make sure you share the podcast with your friends and family. Uh, before I end, though, Amy. Oh, hang on. Well, I did have a comment. So one time I heard Michael Card, the musician, mm -hmm. uh, and he, he mm -hmm. said that he went to church with a lot of people who would say things like, well, I don't read the Old Testament. That's, you know, the old way. That's the law. And um, he said as if you could understand what the New Testament means when it says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Mm -hmm. If you have not read the Old Testament. So I think it is super important that people get that understanding of the promise of the coming Messiah. Yeah, absolutely. Yep, yep. So so remember to look, reach out to us at ATTV Podcast at theadventure.org. Subscribe to the podcast. We can reach you in your feed. Share the podcast with your friends and family. And we look forward to talking to you again next week. Thanks for listening.